Hey, it's Alexis Asadi, and welcome to the second episode of Income Investing, a show that explores different investments that produce income and or dividends. Thanks for joining me again. Please remember to take a moment to tap the subscribe button. We're available just about anywhere that you can play podcasts, whether it's via iTunes or Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or otherwise. So last week was just an introductory episode where I outlined some of the fundamental benefits of receiving monthly passive income. To recap, they include stability and predictability, the opportunity to reinvest into more assets, the ability to offset capital losses, the ability to realize a capital gain, and the ability to use the income for your real life expenses. Today, we're going to begin our journey into our first income investment, and it's a pretty popular one. If you're interested in real estate, if you value liquidity, if you have as little as a few hundred dollars to invest, then this is an asset that I think you might get excited about. So we're going to talk about something called a Real Estate Investment Trust, or REIT, REIT for short. They're common across North America, but they exist internationally too. A REIT is a business that invests in a portfolio of income properties. It usually concentrates in a particular class of real estate, like offices, apartment buildings, or retail space. There are such things as diversified REITs, which kind of dabble in everything, but they're not as widely available. I think both managers and investors prefer to specialize. Now, one of the requirements for a company to qualify as a REIT is that it has to pay the majority of its taxable income back to its investors. The rules can vary in each country, so I'm not going to dive into the specific legal criteria, but to put it simply, tax laws generally incentivize REITs to do two things. First, they're encouraged to invest in income-producing real estate. A REIT's portfolio will usually be comprised of properties that have residential or commercial tenants that pay rent. So you'll see a lot of REITs out there with apartment buildings and shopping malls, etc. It's less common for them to own raw land because that alone doesn't create any revenue. If they do own undeveloped assets, it's usually with the view of building something on it. Second, REITs are encouraged to pay their investors most of the net income that they earn. They don't typically save it up and then deploy it into more real estate. Instead, they raise money from investors, use it to buy properties, and then pay out the bulk of what they produce. As a result, a lot of REITs have lengthy track records of making cash distributions to their investors. In most cases, investors get paid every 30 or 90 days. So for those reasons and more that we're going to discuss, REITs can make for a very popular income investment. They can also give retail investors, people like you and me, the opportunity to invest in a basket of properties that we otherwise couldn't afford to buy. In fact, some of the largest and most glamorous real estate around the world is owned by REITs. For example, the landmark property in New York, the Empire State Building, became publicly investable after its parent company, Empire State Realty Trust, listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 2013. So you could own a piece of that historic property and participate in its earnings simply by logging into your brokerage account and clicking buy. Instead of coming up with half a billion dollars, you can do so for a price of one share plus a trading fee. At the time of this recording, the share price is about $17. 
REITs can thus be an inexpensive way to gain exposure to real estate. Another advantage of REITs is that many of them are publicly traded on major stock exchanges. As such, they can be a simple way to invest in properties. Instead of working with realtors and scouring for mortgage financing and negotiating with buyers and sellers, and dealing with the general headaches of physical real estate, you can get in and out of the deal from the comfort of your smartphone. And that liquidity gives you the opportunity to buy good REITs at a discount. If the market oversells a healthy business, you can scoop up shares when they're cheap and enjoy a high income yield until it eventually rebounds in price. Like many other revenue-producing investments, REITs can therefore give you the best of both worlds, a combination of high revenue and the chance for an appreciation of your capital. Now, as you may know, not all real estate is created equally. Different property types will react to markets in different ways. For example, commercial real estate, single-family homes, and raw land typically appreciate when the economy is strong. When people's personal wealth and their businesses grow, there becomes an increased demand to buy more houses and move into bigger offices and develop new areas and start new companies. Investing in a REIT can therefore expose you to the upswings of economic growth. For instance, if you think that industrial real estate will boom because businesses will need more storage space, then you might invest in a REIT that focuses on industrial assets. Let's take a look at an American REIT called Simon Property Group one of the biggest real estate firms in the world. It currently owns over 150 assets, including millions of square feet worth of shopping centers and outlet malls. The REIT stock chart almost looks exactly like the recent history of the US economy. Simon Property Group reached an all-time high in 2007, and it imploded in 2008 during the global financial crisis. It slid by almost 70% until early 2009. But later that year, it began its gradual ascent, and by 2016, Simon Property Group's stock price was double what it was in 2007. It's almost eerie how closely it replicated the U.S. economy. You can also invest in REITs that are better positioned to withstand market turmoil. Multifamily residential properties, which are apartment buildings that house renters, often thrive in slow economies. That's because when people have less wealth, they're often forced to rent because they can't afford to own a home. These types of assets can also cater to students and young adults who are generally more mobile. Now, with that said, publicly traded multifamily REITs generally don't have an inverse relationship with the economy in terms of share price, because when the markets fall, they tend to drag good companies down too. But the underlying holdings in those REITs will often benefit, and the value is realized later on. Private REITs in that sector, however, can often flourish immediately. There are REITs for virtually all types of real estate, including shopping centers, outlet malls, apartment buildings, self-storage space, warehouses, distribution centers, hotels, resorts, and vacation properties, student housing, manufactured homes, single-family homes, timberland, hospitals, senior living facilities, infrastructure like wireless communication properties, telephone towers and energy pipelines, data centers, movie theaters, international real estate, advertising billboards, casinos, and farmlands. Some REITs also invest in mortgages, either as part of their portfolios or as their concentration. Mortgage REITs or MREITs usually do this in one of two ways. First, they might lend money directly to a borrower, earn interest on the loan, and place a mortgage on the real estate for collateral. Or second, they might buy mortgage debts and then earn interest from them. I'm going to have plenty of material about mortgage funds and the debt markets later on, 
So we're not going to dive too much more into it here. But basically, MREITs participate in real estate too, but on the debt side instead of on equity. Lastly, most REITs can be held in tax-sheltered accounts like Roth IRAs, 401ks, TFSAs, and RSPs. So they can be very efficient from a taxation perspective. So with all of these positive attributes, you can see why REITs might attract a lot of investors, but they also have risks that you should be aware of. The most commonly cited hazard is probably rising interest rates. Most REITs have enormous sums of debts in the form of mortgages and lines of credit. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing, and in fact, it's the norm for real estate. You don't really see too many all-cash properties. But problems can occur if or when prevailing interest rates increase, because when they do, the REIT's cost of servicing loan payments will also rise, and that can hurt profitability. If it's poorly managed or if rates spike dramatically, it can hurdle a company quickly towards bankruptcy. Fortunately, governments and central banks try to give ample warning about interest rate directions. They also try to implement changes slowly, thus giving markets and businesses time to adapt. We're going to talk about all of this later on too. As well, when interest rates increase, it usually means that the economy is heating up. Many REITs will therefore be able to charge higher rent prices to their tenants, thus helping to equalize the difference. However, a lesser known risk is that big REITs often overpay for their properties. They can be so large and flush with so much cash that they need to quickly deploy it somewhere in order to earn a return. Imagine having $100 million in the bank that you need to invest. If you take too long to do so, then your shareholders can suffer because you're not doing anything with their money. It's just sitting there collecting dust. As such, large REITs will often buy properties at less than ideal prices. This can mean that their cash-on-cash yield is lower than what it should be. That also puts them at a greater risk if markets decline. I actually have a colleague who sells his buildings to REITs, and he often scoffs at how much they pay for them. Another downside of REITs is that they're not really an effective way to participate in land banking. This is where you buy a piece of raw, undeveloped land, hold onto it for a period of time, and then you try to sell it for a higher price. You usually do so in an area where you're expecting development to occur. For instance, you might purchase a few acres of land on the outskirts of a city with a growing population, in anticipation of its outward expansion. As the demand for your real estate grows, so should its price. Now, land banking is generally seen as risky because it's really speculative. It's not unusual to sit on a plot of land for a decade. But if the bet pays off, the returns can be well worth the wait. As I mentioned earlier, REITs are incentivized to invest in real estate that pays revenue. That generally means having residential or commercial tenants who pay you rent. So land banking doesn't really fit the mold. A REIT might own some raw land, but it probably won't comprise the bulk of its portfolio. There are more efficient ways to participate in a land banking venture. But all of that notwithstanding, the consensus among most investors is that the pros of REITs easily outweigh their cons. The vehicle can give you access to an entire portfolio of real estate, and if it's a public REIT, it's usually cheap and easy to invest in. You can earn high amounts of monthly or quarterly income, as well as a capital appreciation, and you can diversify across countries and sectors, thus positioning yourself to ride upswings and dodge downswings. Like almost all attractive investments, the devil is often in the details. If you're considering REITs for your own portfolio, it'll be important to conduct thorough research in advance. Some companies are obviously better than others. 
I'm going to spend next week's show going through various due diligence points for REITs because I think it deserves an episode of its own. But for now, let's discuss the process of investing in a REIT. How does one actually do it? Well, many of the largest and most liquid REITs are publicly traded on major markets like the New York and Toronto stock exchanges. There are also smaller public REITs out there that trade on venture exchanges, which are usually less liquid. But regardless of the exchange, most public REITs can be bought and sold through an online brokerage. You simply log into your account, select the company, place your order, and pay the trading fee. Financial advisors and stockbrokers should be able to do this for you too. Like all public companies, listed REITs are quite transparent about their financial performance and their business plans. There should be copies of their prospectus and all sorts of due diligence material available on their respective websites, usually under a tab called Investor Relations or Investors. You can also invest in private REITs. These are companies that are not listed on the stock market, but they can be a little bit more challenging to find and get involved with. You'll usually have to go through a licensed broker or dealer who specializes in that sort of thing. And since they're private, their shares or units will generally be less liquid. So you should expect to have your money locked up for at least a year and pay a fee if you want to cash out early. This isn't a rule, but it's pretty common. Now, private REITs can have advantages. They can be more dynamic than their public counterparts and undertake fewer regulatory burdens, which can be costly and onerous. In fact, the most lucrative REIT that I've ever invested in was privately held. But many instead choose to highlight their lack of volatility as their primary benefit. Private REITs often claim in their marketing material that since their share prices are stable, investors can rest easy without worrying about market fluctuations. But in my view, that's somewhat of a spurious assertion. Since private REITs are not as actively traded, their share or unit prices don't rise and fall every few minutes like a stock. But that doesn't mean that they're not volatile. Their values can change frequently. It's just that there isn't a stock ticker that shows the world what those values are. As an owner of a private REIT, your investment might be going up or down in value all the time. You just don't know it because nobody's offering to buy your shares. There's not an active market for them. As such, many investors interpret this claim to mean that they can't lose money or that they are insulated from market risk, neither of which are true. Another way to add REITs to your portfolio is to buy index funds, or ETFs, exchange-traded funds, that own various REITs. These products usually pay monthly or quarterly income too, and they can be a good way to diversify. They're generally quite liquid, and they can therefore appreciate in value as well. We're going to spend an entire episode on this in the coming weeks. So here are today's takeaways. First, REITs are companies that invest in revenue-producing real estate. Second, they can specialize in any sort of property subsector, which allows investors to capitalize on various market trends. Third, a lot of REITs have long histories of making substantial cash distributions to their investors. And fourth, you can invest in them through a brokerage account, through investment funds, or via private placement. Next Wednesday, when episode 3 is released, I'll continue to discuss real estate investment trusts, but I'm going to focus on how to research them. We'll take a look at what kinds of REITs react to different market trends, and I'll also talk about why companies like Amazon have shifted the real estate landscape globally. Until then, I'd encourage you to visit alexisasadi.net slash podcast. There's a place for you there to ask questions, which I'll then try to address in future episodes. As well, please be sure to subscribe and even tell a friend about the Income Investing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.